Hello and welcome to a new episode of Raptor Rambles with me, Jimmy Hill from Raptor Aid. So we're up to episode 8 now and I had planned on recording this intro up a tree but unfortunately lockdown hasn't been very kind to my waistline and it would appear that I've managed to put on a few stones since we went into lockdown last year. I think actually it's probably been happening and occurring well before we went into lockdown. But anyway, that's that's one of my excuses. The reason I know this is because I went out the other day. I I bought some new climbing equipment for the for the coming Raptor monitoring season to enable me to access nest sites safely. And I thought, I know, I'll rig a rope up just on a on a low branch and I will test it out and just see you know, get used to it all. So I set the rope up climbed into my new harness and the other bits of equipment that I bought and the aim is obviously to then try and pull yourself up the rope using these different mechanical devices which are supposed to make it easier for you but I have to admit it was probably one of the most tiring things that I've done in a long time and I'm only glad that there was no one there spectating because it must have looked hilarious. I came into my wife and said that it was pretty embarrassing and that it probably looked like a pig in a harness swinging around on the end of this rope. So a little bit of work I think needs to be done and a little bit of weight needs to be lost before we get into the next breeding season. The person that I'm interviewing in this interview doesn't need any help when it comes to getting his trees because we're talking to Dr David Anderson from the Peregrine Fund and also of Canopy Watch and David has been accessing trees and climbing trees in remote locations in all sorts of environments since the early 90s he's pretty much one of the leading experts probably in arboreal rope access getting into trees especially in order to help biologists understand more about a whole host of species david is a a trained ornithologist and in that's his trade and that's the reason he started tree climbing back in the 90s i think the first place he mentions in the interview is is in honduras and so no problems whatsoever for david it was an absolute pleasure interviewing him i came across david and is an interview that he'd done online a few weeks ago but i've actually i have come across him before following the peregrine fund and some of the work that he's done and he'll he'll talk about that during during the interview but one of the other things that i think is probably easily noticeable and what one of the things he's most proud of is the not-for-profit organization that he set up canopy watch which supports and trains biologists from all over the world in in getting up into the canopies in order to carry out biological research now one of the things they do is an international climbing uh, week a training event for a certain number of biologists and and david will talk a little bit about that but if any of you've got a real interest in in getting your feet off the ground and and accessing the canopy then definitely have a look in the description i'll share canopy watches website and you can you can check that out and i know they're always desperate for support in order to offer the this service to to biologists that travel to to attend it It's it's a really really good course so yeah check check that out anyway enough of me i'm going to uh Go and have a stick of celery and maybe go for a jog. And in the meantime, sit back and enjoy listening to David Anderson talking about all his exploits up in the trees. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to, I think it is, I'll just check, episode eight of Raptor Rambles. So, yeah, we're, we're fair getting through them now. Every three weeks, we're trying to bring one out. Uh, and, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And I'm especially excited about today's guest because i'll be honest i don't know a huge lot about today's guest but i heard this gentleman david anderson dr david anderson uh do a talk for treestuff.com i think it was that's where i that's where i heard it and uh, i really enjoyed it i'm a tree climber not to the level or the standards that that dave david does um so it's a subject that really interests me, but then also knowing a little, a tiny bit about him and reading about the work he's done with uh, raptors in rainforests got me really excited. So David Anderson, thank you very much for joining us and welcome. 
Good afternoon. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on. Now, greetings from uh, greetings from Boise, Idaho, United States. <laughs> well, Boise, Idaho. So that's that's like the for me. I uh, we were just talking before we started. That's a bit of a mecca because obviously the Peregrine Fund are based in Boise, Idaho. And I think anyone who's interested in birds of prey should know who the Peregrine Fund are, whether you're in the UK or not. Um, yeah. Tell us, to start off with, Dave, tell us a bit about where you're at at the moment. What Before we start at the beginning, which is where I always get people to start, where are you, where, where are you working? Where are you based at the moment with work? What's, what's the deal? Right. So I'm based out of Boise, Idaho, northwest corner of the United States, and I wear multiple hats. So one of my jobs is to work for the Peregrine Fund, managing raptor projects. Um, I work with deer falcons in Alaska. It's the world's largest falcon. I've been working with uh, a eagle in Panama, which is the world's largest eagle. And it was totally accidental, but it's kind of, you know, an ego booster. Like You can just drop it at the cocktail party. Yeah, I work with the largest birds of prey in the world. No big deal. <laughs> but uh, I wear some other hats as well. Uh, in, in other than being a raptor biologist, I created my own nonprofit uh, in 2020 is when we launched as a nonprofit. It's called Canopy Watch. And our gig is to get as many people into the treetops as possible for personal and scientific discovery, because we kind of tap the power of trees to empower human potential. That's what we do. And then I also helped uh, launch a fundraiser in Colombia, South America, and uh, they're a partner organization to Canopy Watch. And I'm involved with them on a regular basis to run uh, international climber trainings in, in Latin America. And we can talk about that in a bit as well. But it keeps me pretty busy to have pretty much three full-time jobs. Absolutely. So let's start then. Let's let's go right to the beginning. Well, let's go to the beginning. Yeah. What, what got little David Anderson interested in nature, wildlife, leading on to birds of prey and trees where did that all begin you know um i'm a biologist and i've always been a biologist and i went to school to be a biologist but i tell people that in the truest sense i think i was born biological because i'm happier outside i'm happier in the desert or the mountains ever since i was a little kid my favorite things to do were this is going to sound funny climb trees yep. okay climb trees in the yard uh, and run around in the hills uh, catching snakes and lizards and looking at, at red-tailed hawks. And when I, went to, when I went to college, I just gradually became more of who I always was. I studied wildlife management at Humboldt State University. And people to this day remember a wisecrack I made one day in a wildlife management class. I said, there's two kinds of birds in the world. There's birds and there's birds that eat birds. <laughs> that's like, that's all there is. You know, so I, I was at, from an early time really fascinated with birds of prey. Uh, I worked with spotted owls. If anyone knows about spotted owls, this endangered owl from the Western United States. And they live in the deepest, oldest forests with the biggest trees. Those trees, those forests look like cathedrals when you go inside with the massive size of the trees and the light shafts that come down. And there's something about spotted owls that is so ultimately peaceful that when you see one, it, it just takes you to a new level of calm. And, uh, and I gradually fell in love with birds of prey and I fell in love with old forests and I never stopped climbing trees. And, you know, to this day, the child that I always was climbing trees in my backyard, I have grown up to be a guy who climbs trees with other people. Brilliant. That's a, it's funny you should say that because uh, I, uh, you'll be exactly the same as me. I've got lots of friends who who are you know biologists or you know spend their ornithologists spend their time monitoring raptors and I and I get the Mickey taken out of me because they all have multiple interests in you know I've got one friend who's who's an expert on European honey buzzards by trade really but also he's fantastic at, at small birds and waders and all this and so he'll t frequently take the mick because i'm really only it's birds of prey and interestingly my wife sent me a picture today she works at a big zoo here in the uk and and they've got this new dove in of some sort and she sent me a picture of this dove saying isn't isn't this the most the most beautiful bird and i just i just replied this is no word of a lie i replied saying it's just posh hawk food. 
Yeah. yeah. It's, it's some lovely rare pigeon or dove from somewhere. Anyway, but that, so that's my blinkered vision. So, um, I, so I love all birds, you know, and I'm an ornithologist. So I've got a master's degree and a doctorate degree studying birds. But there is something magical that birds of prey have that other birds don't have. They just have this force of will. They have this fierce determination. And they have, the, they have like the tools to get the job done, you know. Yeah. And yeah. like you can be a beautiful parrot and still get eaten by a beautiful hawk. I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But maybe that's maybe that's it. I do I do appreciate like other birds. We get the woodpecker on the feeder and it in the back garden, and it's lovely to see. I do, but yeah, but I'd I'd be even more excited if the sparrowhawk came through the yard and grabbed grabbed it. Yeah, anyway, that's uh, yeah, that's another yeah thing. So tell me, tell us a bit about then the Peregrine Fund. You, obviously, you've already mentioned them working for them because they are such an an incredible organization um, from what I see. The Peregrine Fund is a world leader in the conservation of birds of prey. It is our mission to, our stated mission is to conserve birds of prey worldwide. Mm -hmm. We work in the United States, Central America, South America. We don't have a project in Australia, but we used to. Um, several countries in Africa, several countries in Asia. But some of the things that make the Peregrine Fund really world famous and world class is we've saved a number of raptor species from extinction. And it's one thing to say we can serve birds of prey. And it's another thing to say without the peregrine fund, there would no longer be peregrine falcons in North America. The skies would not have peregrine falcons and all the ducks on the water wouldn't be looking over their shoulders, you know, for that peregrine fund, uh, that peregrine coming. Um, we helped save the Mauritius kestrel. The Mauritius kestrel got down to four individuals. How can you be more endangered than that? If it wasn't, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that they were both males and females, that species would be gone. And now the Mauritius kestrel is restored. Uh, the California condor got down to 22 individuals and we've been instrumental in restoring the California condor. But, um, you know, we work with some of the most endangered birds of prey in the world. The Peregrine Fund has discovered birds that were thought to be extinct in Madagascar, for example, the Madagascar serpent eagle and the Madagascar red owl and the Madagascar poacher, a type of duck, were yeah. all thought to be extinct. And the Peregrine Fund went and found them. So we go to the farthest corners of the earth, to the most extreme habitats and reaches, and, you know, work with birds of prey. It's a really beautiful story. Yeah, it, you know, it is. What, what are you, with your, with your role within the Peregrine Fund then, what, what sort of, I know you touched on geofalcons and, and you don't, don't, don't worry about, you don't have to go into too much detail because I'm sure there's, there's lots to talk about just on that subject alone, but what, what sort of work have you done then? What specific projects have you been involved in or with the Peregrine Fund? Right. I, I was hired to uh, launch the Jeer Falcon and Tundra Conservation Program in 2012. We use the Jeer Falcon. The Jeer Falcon is the world's largest falcon. They're an Arctic specialist. They live in the, mark, in the, Ar in the high Arctic uh, around the world. They don't migrate. They have a narrow diet. And we look at them as a window on global change to the Arctic tundra. They're, they're an umbrella species of conservation and uh, they're a focal species to help us understand the health of the Arctic tundra ecosystem as the poles are warming faster than any place else on earth. I have been involved with the Harpy Eagle program in Panama. I encourage everyone to go try and find a Harpy Eagle. They're hard to find unless you have a guide, um, but there are guides who specialize in Harpy Eagle-like tourism. But for a bird that is Shades of black, gray, and white, they are the most sublimely bird around, uh, sublimely beautiful bird that you can find. But the massive power of a harpy eagle is unmistakable. This, I tell people that uh, a female harpy eagle, I'm kind of a, a lightweight guy, pretty thin. Um, and a female harpy eagle, her leg is the size of my wrist. And you can imagine the crushing power that a harpy eagle has in its feet. And they epitomize the majesty of birds of prey. Um, not only are they huge, but their wing shape and their tail shape makes it so that they can dodge through the forest canopy like a hummingbird. And, and then they've got the killing strength of like a grizzly bear. I mean, there's hardly a creature on the planet more amazing than a harpy eagle. 
And of course, they live or they nest, well, they live and they nest in, in giant trees. So uh, let's let's get on to the the, the nitty gritty of, of tree climbing, which is something that you know very, very well. What, my first question is, at what point, because I, 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 it's definitely, I think, a dying sort of dying art in the sense that that's what I did as a kid. I climbed trees. I, you know, we had this big oak tree that was on this little playing field, this this part of it where we'd play football and stuff like that. And um, and yeah, we used to we used to free climb this tree and we'd build a rope swing in it and swing in and out of it. And yeah, maybe I'm being sentimental, but kids, my niece and nephew don't do that. They're not really into it, and a lot of young kids. From your, when did it change? When did tree climbing go from being fun? Well, it's always going to be fun. Sorry, when did it go from being a, just a childhood activity to like this could be a career? You know, I can, you know, I can really use these skills to, to, uh, yeah, further my career. Yeah, yeah. Tree, tree climbing has gotten me in some into some really uh, special places, and I I consider it a privilege. And so, you know, there's two kinds of luck, right? There's blind luck that just like totally falls on you. You know, you're walking down the street and you find a hundred dollar bill. I mean, that's just, that's an accident. But then there's the kind of luck where you work your butt off long enough and, and things start to happen for you. Yeah. And kind of tree climbing has been that for me. Um, in uh, the early 1990s, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but in the early 1990s, I was a Peace Corps volunteer for the United States meaning that I lived in these remote villages in Central America where I would, I was uh, working with people on preserving natural resources. Mm -hmm. And I took a trip out to far eastern Honduras to this biosphere reserve. It's called the Rio Platano, the Rio Platano Biosphere Reserve, one of the wildest places in Central, anywhere in Central America. And the place blew me away. The nature there, just a magnificent, unspoiled, wild rainforest with and it, with an Indian village. And it takes like two and a half days to get there. You got to fly in a small plane, get in a boat, spend the night on the coast. When you think you're at the absolute end of the earth and you couldn't go any farther off the end of the earth, then you get in a boat and go up the river for a day. And then you're like, wow, now I'm really at the end of the earth. And this little village called Las Marias blew me away. And so I was in Las Marias and I thought, I got to come back here and I got to do... Um, I want to climb the tallest trees in the rainforest and study birds of prey. It's like, where did this idea come from? It's like a, this invisible lightning bolt. Yeah, I think I'll just climb the tallest trees in the rainforest and study raptors. And, uh, and, and, and uh, I eventually made it happen. Uh, I got into graduate school. Um, I wrote the grants to pay for the research because I didn't have any money. In fact, one of the funny parts of the story is I didn't, I had to raise all the money for my research program. And when I left uh, in December uh, during Christmas break to go down to the rainforest for six months, I only raised enough money to go down there and do the work. I didn't have enough money to come home. <laughs> and, I went, and I went down with the confidence, like I've got enough grants out there, something's gonna come through and, and it worked. But that's when I really started climbing trees and when the, when the hook really set and I, there's something about climbing a tree in a wild tree in the rainforest where, you know, no human being has ever been here and no human being is ever going to come back. And there is no telling what I'm going to see from the top of this tree. You never know. You never, ever, ever know what's going to happen on that day. And just the sheer beauty of, of that awaiting discovery is like, it's addictive. I mean, there's no drug as powerful as for me is getting a, hundred feet in the air and just looking at birds and ants and everything else. What was obviously in the early days then, and you don't have to go into, you don't have to go into details if you want, but maybe I'll, I'll tell you a bit about what my early days, because, because the other thing that interests me about tree climbing from a personal perspective is, is that I, I always think, and maybe you can answer it from your point of view. What, what point did it go from being, 
when I was younger, I seemed to be fearless, certainly when it came to climbing trees. You know, I always remember when we were setting up a new rope swing, one of us had to go right up into the top of this oak tree. Now, you know, probably thinking about 50 foot, but we didn't have any gear. We didn't, we, you know, we were in shorts and shorts and T-shirt. And one of us would have to shimmy out along the branch and tie the rope on. And then, you know, so you got some swing on it and then go back in. And and that was that. And we never used to bat an eyelid and we'd sit right up in the top of this, this tree yeah. in all sorts of weather. And yeah. then I'm not sure what point in my life when I started climbing trees here in the UK for monitoring raptors. And again, the oak trees, you know, they weren't bit, not monster trees in a, by any stretch of the imagination. But yeah, I started to get scared at times and, and like I'd get what I used to call disco legs and my leg would start shaking and I'd be like uh, I, yeah I, I'm trying to think at what point that ch- that changed and I, I don't know maybe you can answer it in the sense when does when does that bit I think that, I think there's something I hear yeah I hear from people you know as they get older they start to say oh I'm not doing that anymore oh that's too high risk oh I'm not doing that anymore and, and there's like a gene, it's almost like a biological clock where you get to an age for some, to an age where I shouldn't be doing this stuff anymore. But, I, but for, you know, some of us, that clock just, it waits a lot longer to switch. And uh, when I climb trees, I'm using a lot of sophisticated equipment and I feel really comfortable. Like, do not put me on a ladder for Pete's sake, do not put, I hate ladders. I'm terrified of ladders, but I can climb a really tall tree because I'm on the rope and I feel good about it. Yeah. And um, I tell, I tell people when I take them, you know, a fear of heights is, is healthy. If you don't have a fear of heights, like I don't even want to take you climbing. If you have no fear of heights, there's something wrong with you. You know, if you get off the ground and you start to think maybe this is sketchy, good. I can work with that. Yeah. But like when, in, when I was climbing for my master's degree, it scared the poop out of me because I, I didn't really have any training and I didn't know what I was doing. And, and, uh, and I was getting into risky situations surely because I didn't know what the limits were and I didn't know the smart way to move around in a tree. And I was doing stuff I shouldn't have and the fear factor was high, but I kept pushing the envelope and getting better. And that was the key. I was just willing to trust the equipment, trust the tree, make really conservative decisions and just come back to the ground at the end of the day brilliant brilliant yeah well yeah right i mean i the way i look at now i use all this this equipment um yeah and and have loads of trust it but when i think back to when i first started climbing trees for birds of prey and i used to i remember i had a, a a rock climbing harness that i borrowed off a friend and a climbing sling and two carabiners yeah. And that was it. And I used to climb up the tree and it was, th- I never forget seeing my friend again, James, who, who lent me the harness and he was like, Oh, how are you getting on with it all? How's your raptor on it? How's your tree climbing? And I said, yeah, yeah, really good. And I explained it. And and I, the, the look on his face, when I explained how I was clipping the carabiners onto the gear loops on the climbing harness, oh. and he was just like, whoa he's like that no he's like they're not designed to hold a human's weight he's like that's and i was like oh i've been doing it for like the last 12 months and he i said i haven't slipped though and he said good anyway so that's back in the day so uh anyway i I know what i'm doing now some of us don't deserve to be here (laughs) no i mean there is a bit of luck in that there is a bit of luck in that yeah Anyway, that's me embarrassing myself in front of you. Um, that's uh, what, another thing I let people can't see. Obviously, this is a podcast, but David said to me about uh, make sure I've got a beer for him. And then so I'm going to embarrass myself again because I cracked open a bottle of Budweiser because it's nine o'clock here in the UK and, and two, the afternoon over there. And of course, I didn't realize that Budweiser, they, they don't wash their cars with Budweiser in America. So so I've embarrassed well, myself it- double time. <laughs> It's a good beer for right before bed, you know. If it was five o'clock, you'd need something more stout than that. But like <laughs> bedtime, sure, drink a Budweiser. <laughs> okay, you're being polite to me now. Anyway, yeah, right. for breakfast, Budweiser yeah. might be okay for breakfast. <laughs> hey, I, I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell your audience a story about Budweiser. Okay, Go this on. is this is gonna be. It's about this is about the luck of, of being a field biologist. A couple of years ago, I was hiking through the mountains in Idaho. I was helping on a, a project with goshawks. 
and I kicked, there was a beer can in the dirt and I kicked it and it, you know, it didn't crinkle. It didn't make a light tinny sound. And I thought, well, that's weird. And I used my boot to kick it out of the ground. And it was a can of Budweiser. It was an original can. And I could tell from the, the pop, the type of pop top that that can had to be at least 40 years old. Oh, it had, someone had dropped it out of their car and it had gone through 40 winters, freezing cold, 40 summers, and it was sitting there and I couldn't believe it. So I took it back to our bunkhouse and I drank it. Yeah. And it, it tasted as good as new. Somewhere I've got a photo and I like four. I should have taken photos and shared them with Budweiser. I bet I could have scored a, a lot of free beer. You, I mean, I'd have bought you a lot of free beer to watch you drink a 40 year old can of it. That's it. That's that's nearly cooler than climbing to a harpy eagle nest. And it, and it wasn't it wasn't stored in someone's house. It wasn't in their basement. It was in the mountains. That thing was, you know, 20 below zero every winter and 90 degree Fahrenheit every summer. That's uh that's that's epic. That that's uh, that's cool. Anyway, let's get let's get back to to climbing trees. <laughs> that is look. That's let's get back that, to it. That, that's luck that you've survived drinking that can of beer just like me hanging my yeah. weight off gear loops. Um, so, so tree climbing, obviously, very an integral part of what you do with your with your raptor monitoring. Talk about let's go on to Canopy Watch. So explain to people that about the not not for profit that you you started because it's it's brilliant. It, what I know about it, it, it sounds amazing. So yeah, Canopy Watch. You know, it exists for a couple of different reasons. One is I would say personal discovery, and the other is scientific discovery. Because when I started climbing trees for my master's degree, I just like you, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a coach. I was making mistakes that did not have to be made. I'm probably really lucky to be here um, today. The more I climbed, the more people would ask me to take them climbing. They're like, hey, can you take me to work one day? I'm like, oh yeah, we're not riding around in a pickup. We're climbing to the top of the rainforest and we're gonna look at birds. And I saw that climbing trees was having this magical effect on my friends like it was having on me. There was this sense of awe, this sense of wonder. It's, you know, for people like us who like, uh, we love watching nature documentaries on television and you can watch nature documentaries all over the world and they blow you away and you say, gosh, I wish I could go there. But when you climb a tree into the top of the rainforest, it's better than watching a nature docu documentary because it is you. It is you in that moment living something that you never thought was going to happen. You know, holy cow, I'm in the top of a tree in the rainforest and there's birds flying around me. How did, how did this happen? Yeah. And when I saw that effect happening to my friends, eventually I formed Canopy Watch for two reasons. One, because I want to empower more biologists to be able to get into the treetops and not have to make all the mistakes that you and I made because they, they, don't, they shouldn't have to. They should be able to have a coach. Mm -hmm. They should be able to learn from someone who knows, who learned the hard way to do it the right way. And then the other reason, so I trained science and because I believe in the rainforest and I want to conserve tropical biodiversity, I train biologists from top tropical countries to get into the tops of the trees and let them make their own discoveries and their own observations and conserve these forests. But whether you're a scientist or a non-scientist, the same transformation happens to everybody. I put people in trees and they come back to the ground and they say, I had no idea how that was going to be the most amazing experience of my life. And people say that, like, I had no idea that that was going to be so cool. And it happens to scientists and non-scientists. It happens on recreation climbs and science climbs. And I want, and Canopy Watch now exists. I, I call it changing lives one tree at a time. And I want to get as many people as I can into the tops of the trees. It's crazy. I make up, I make up the environment that lets me get to the places I want to be, whether it's me in the tops of the trees or other people in the tops of the trees, I find a way. And Canopy Watch is just a vehicle for doing that. Brilliant. So just to, so do you do this both on a sort of local level, as in you're taking people in the United States climbing trees, you mentioned recreational climbing, and, and then are you, you're also doing it, obviously, uh, more 
say advanced, but you're taking people for for instance that want to train their biologists or something. So you're doing both both aspects of it, then are you? Yeah, um, I do recreational tree climbing in the United States. I mean, I do it with my friends for fun, but I take the public uh, tree climbing. Uh, it helps them appreciate trees more. I mean, you climb a tree and it's not the same thing that it was. Last week, you took that tree for granted. This week, you're like, wow, what a beautiful tree. And I bet I could put a rope over that branch and climb that tree. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I train scientists in the United States how to climb uh, so they can study birds, birds of prey, or any topic that they want. Mm -hmm. um, I train scientists in foreign countries to climb trees uh, because very few people in, like in Latin America are climbing trees for scientific research. And then... Um, Sometimes I get lucky and I can uh, work. Uh, I've worked uh, doing harpy eagle research and conservation. And uh, last year I was uh, able to get uh, into a small Indian village in Central America in Panama and get up under the trees and film a nature documentary by, by getting the filmmakers into the top of the tree. Um, you know, and oh, so that film's coming out next week. I think that film's coming out next week. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. What's it, yeah. what's it called? We'll, we'll see if we, we might make it over to the, to the UK. What's yeah. Go to, uh, go to uh, Facebook and look up Harpy Eagle film. I think that's where you'll find it. Brilliant. And uh, it's playing at a major international um, uh, nature documentary film festival starting, I think May 4th or May 8th. But if you go to the Facebook page, you'll see where you can buy tickets and, and watch that film, I think starting next week. And let me tell you, it was made by Daniel Byers of Skyship Film. And Daniel is one of these really special people who can look at the emotion and beauty of a place and pull it all out. And it's like, it's like a magical spell. I don't know what this dude has in his heart and in his eyes, but he can take the beauty from a situation and put it into film and tell a story that will leave you breathless and maybe even in tears. So I would like everyone to try and find uh, Harpy Eagle Films on Facebook and get a chance to watch this film. You will, it will make your day. Thank you so much. Well, I'll, um, if nothing else, I will find it or, I, or I'll get you to email me a link after this and I'll, I'll share it. I'll put it on the, when this podcast goes out, I'll put it in the, uh, the description and, and yeah, I'll make sure um, yeah. we, we get, we get it out there to, to people. Cause that sounds, uh, that sounds incredible. Now on the subject of, of training people, cause I'm just conscious of, I always get wrapped up in these, these interviews and forget that people are supposed to listen to a podcast and and just hopefully this doesn't doesn't seem a little bit tedious for you but let's let's imagine most well probably 99% of the people listening to this have never left the ground other than in an aeroplane or uh yeah certainly not to climb a tree imagine you're can you give us a quick run through of how you get people into trees um just to explain to people that that the basic methods and, and, uh, and yeah, the, the, some of the techniques you use, just yeah. the taste. Okay. So, uh, so that everyone knows uh, the equipment that is made for tree climbing is specialized for tree climbing. It's not rock climbing. Um, they are parallel, but different sports uh, or not sports, but endeavors. So the harnesses, the ropes, the helmets, the carabiners, everything for tree climbing is different from rock climbing. And that's one of the first lessons that I teach people is don't go to your rock climbing store and try and buy this stuff, go to the tree climbing place. But, you know, first you've got to get a rope in a tree. And if the rope is, I mean, if the, if the tree is 10 meters tall, it's easier. But when you start to get up to 30 and 40 meters tall, you've got to have techniques to get a rope over the tree. And you've got to learn, you know, the taller the tree is, the harder it gets. There, there are redwoods who don't have a branch lower than 100 feet, you know, so 30, 35 meters or 60 meters. That's the lowest branch. Mm -hmm. how, do you get a, how do you get a rope over that? And then um, I, you have to, at the beginning, you have to do a lot of coaxing. You have to start out slow. You, you can't intimidate people or scare them. You have to do a lot of, I do a lot of day. And, and I get them comfortable with the equipment on the ground. Everyone's got to know 
how to use all of the equipment on the ground. I can't get someone stuck in a tree. And they're like, how does this work? Flip <laughs> yeah. the lever on the left. <laughs> yeah. You know? And uh, yeah. And uh, you know, when uh, there is a lot of fear involved and, and it, that's where the transformation co comes in. When you take a beginning climber and you get them up into a tree, they have to trust the tree. They have to trust the equipment they have to trust their instructor. And then finally, they have to trust themselves. Yeah. And, and you build a lot of self-confidence when literally you're putting your life, you know, on the rope. You're putting your life in your own hands. You're putting your life in the hands of a stranger. There's a lot of confidence building and people come back down to the ground a different person than when they started. And that's the beauty of it. And that's where... I'm able to teach really advanced skills in a week. Like I, I can take a, a beginning climber and at the end of the fifth day, they're doing stuff that an arborist might be learning in their second year. And it's, it's not always about uh, hand-eye coordination. It's not always about uh, like the physical dexterity in your hand. It's because I try and delve into the heart and build up this confidence and this inspiration and this desire to go to the next level and to, and to teach people to trust themselves and make smart decisions. That's where the tree climbing comes in. That's where Canopy Watch comes in. It's not just about the mechanics of put a rope over a branch, tie yourself to the rope, climb the rope. It's, you know, it's, there's a lot of, sometimes it's fear, sometimes it's beauty, sometimes it's inspiration. That's, that's what I love to do. Fantastic. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. Yeah, I remember you, you just when you were talking, then it, it took me back to to the first time I'd ever done a branch walk. And and you're right. It's all about putting. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's all those different factors of trusting. Yeah. The equipment, the, the branch you're walking on, the person underneath you explaining maybe, right, do this or try, you know, this tech, you know, your legs are too, you know, Bent or whatever yeah and and then ultimately yeah trusting yourself and it is it's exhilarating when you realize you're in a safe position and it's it's doable and then ultimately it allows you to access and do something that you've not done before experienced before it's uh yeah it's it's brilliant um that's uh that's that's brilliant it sounds exciting so how many how many people have you trained off the top of your head? How many how many people have, have canopy canopy watch done? If you do keep tabs or roughly, and you know it's hard to it's hard to pick out the number because I started taking peak bull tree climbing uh, in 1996, but it was just like let's get into the top of the tree to study birds, yeah. and then canopy watch became kind of a a name, you know, like it, it was a website and a name and a concept in 2015. Mm -hmm. uh, I did my first international training in 2016. Uh, you know, and if you go all the way back, we're talking a couple hundred or so, 300 or something, which isn't a lot, but we're we're ramping up. Well, okay, maybe it's not a lot. Sure, it's a lot. lot. Three hundred people who yeah. put their lives in my hands so far. That's a lot. Um, but it, we're we're accelerating. We're going faster and faster now. Brilliant. Now, on the on the subject of of um, Canopy Watch, just touch on then. Um, every year you run a camp or you run a, uh, you run a, um, what's the correct title for it? You, you run something abroad, don't you, in, in Latin America? Is that yeah, right? I call it an international climber training. Yep. Um, and uh, it's our signature event. I'm happy that you asked. Um, we're planning our fifth one uh, this year. It will be held in Colombia at a nature reserve called Rio Claro, Rio Claro, awesome. natural reserve. Um, the whole idea is to build local capacity for conservation research in tropical forests. And we do not charge the full fee for the students to attend. We're not trying to make, this is not a for-profit event. This is a for changing how science works event. It's called discovering the canopy. Um, and the, the event is scheduled to happen in July of this year. I'm confident that we can keep our climbers safe 
not only from gravity, but from viruses, yeah, if you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but our fundraiser launches on March 2nd to, to help pay for the event because the only way that I can get 20 students from across Latin America, we've had them all the way from El Salvador, all the way down through Argentina participating in these events is I got to raise a lot of equipment and a lot of money so that they don't have to pay what it would normally cost them to do this. And um, we're going to be selling tree shirts next week uh, for two weeks. Um, and you can buy them anywhere in the world. And every shirt purchase pays for some student to go to our climbing school so that they can later on work with birds of prey or orchids or ocelots or something else in the rainforest. Brilliant. Uh, so that's, that's 20. So you've got 20. Have you, do you know who's booked on already? Have you got those people or those people have signed up to it? Is that all? Uh, we're, we're in the application period right, right now. Okay. We're in the application period and um, we had like 26 applicants as of yesterday and we'd only had the applications open for a week or two. Wow. And so we'll get more. Yeah, we'll get more. Brilliant. Yeah. And then so they so they come they're coming out to Colombia from all over um, South America. And it's a week long, is it then? It's a week long training. Yeah, it's a week long training. It's held at, a, at an ecological reserve with an eco lodge. Yeah. And, um, you know, we charge a we charge a modest fee to make sure we're, we're not just getting vacation hunters coming. You know, someone who thinks, whoa, I get to climb trees for a week at an eco lodge for free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we make sure that they're paying enough money that they're coming because they're interested in learning how to, they're learning, they want to learn canopy access methods. Brilliant. And I've got four instructors lined up and uh, maybe even a fifth one uh, this weekend. Um, and one of the instructors who is signed on is Kevin Bingham. For anyone who knows that name, he's one of the big inventors of tree climbing equipment. He's an arborist who has this, this brain that works like mine doesn't. He can look at a problem and say, oh, I'll invent a piece of equipment to make that easy. Mm. And uh, Kevin Bingham uh, speaks Spanish and is signed on to be one of our Spanish language instructors in 2021, which is, for anyone who doesn't know, it's like, uh, it's like saying, um, I'm going to have a basketball camp I'm just going to make this up. I'm going to do it with my friends. And, uh, and I called Michael Jordan and he says, he'll come be one of the instructors. I'm like, yeah, Kevin Bingham. Woo! You know, it's kind of like that. <laughs> now I'm going to embarrass myself for the third time. Cause I know who you're talking about because I'm sad enough to sit at home on a Saturday night and watch YouTube videos of how different techniques for tree climbing work and kevin bingham is often the most the video that's had the most hits so i'll go on a kevin bingham yeah. video to look at how this piece of equipment works or yeah so that's people are going to be going god jimmy's really sad um because yeah but yeah. That, that's what you do when you you i want to yeah. learn how to, how to do things so that's cool that is a big yeah. that's a big name that's like a hollywood tree climbing name um yeah excellent like tom cruise or somebody i don't know, who, you know? <laughs> I, yeah tom cruise is yeah yeah maybe it is yeah um that's 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 excellent right so you i'll um I'll, well i'll make sure i share that with um with everyone um so we can get some funds raised for you that's um yeah it'd be good to uh to make sure you've uh you, you get the funds and uh and i did notice on your instagram maybe or something you get you get donated a lot of equipment from from uh, a lot of the companies petzl and a welsh one as well dm dmm wales DMM, that's in your corner of the world that's yeah if you got canopy underscore watch in instagram uh you'll be able to see what we're doing uh you can follow our international climber training this summer uh you can see the students who you know who participate and you can see the very generous people who have have believed in us enough to donate Ropes, Yale Cordage is our rope sponsor. Petzl donated most of the hardware. I got a box the other day from DMM with 20 pulleys in it. Nice. And, um, you know, it takes a lot to get these students in the trees to get them up there safely and back down again. And uh, just the amount of money it would take to buy all of this equipment would make it impossible. So Wesper, New Tribe, Tree Stuff, they're all donating 
you know, equipment. Brilliant. I don't, that's, thanks, thanks to all of them. Yeah, Big thanks. Absolutely. Give them, give them a plug. Give them a plug. Now, I don't, I'm not going to, uh, I don't, no, I don't think I'll embarrass you with this one. Um, but before I did come on, because I admitted, I was like, yeah, I, I, obviously I, I heard you on that talk with Tree Stuff. Um, and then I was like, oh, I remembered this was literally, I watched this quickly before. Um, you've done a TED talk as well, which is a big deal. Te you know, I've, I've watched a lot of TED talks. So, so we have to, I'll have to quickly mention that. So if anyone really enjoys this, this chat, they can go on to, to that. What was that like doing a TED talk? You know, wow. The, first of all, that is a real privilege. I feel super honored that I was invited to give a TED talk and I'm, I'm really happy about that. And I'm humbled that someone, you know, thought we could get a guy to talk about tree climbing for a TED talk. Um, the thing that makes it incredible is we were supposed to do our talks in April of 2020, right when COVID exploded in the world and the talks were canceled. And we didn't think we were going to get to do it again. And out of the blue, I got an email that says, we've got a window. It was By this time, it was October of 2020. They said, uh, if you want to do your TED Talks, start rehearsing. We're going to do it. And we couldn't find a venue because all the venues were closed and you couldn't put people indoors. There's like, no, you, you can't have, you can't have uh, people indoors. You can't do that. So we found a Shakespeare festival who has never let anyone on their stage. And they said, we'll make an exception for Ted talks. It's an outdoor stage. Yep. And we got the film crew. We got the speakers. We got the, the, our speaking coaches. And for a day in October, we sat outside on a Shakespeare stage and everyone got up and gave a talk. And I'm a, I give talks pretty often. I, I can speak to 200 people in an audience. No problem. Yeah. Standing in front of a camera, giving a Ted talk was scary, <laughs> but I think it came out. Okay. It came out brilliantly. It was good. And one thing I did, what came across really well for me as saying, I literally only watched it about, well, just before we came on to this was um, the emotion that's in, involved in it and, you know, how, how connected you are to, to what you do and, and the passion that, yeah, flows is, yeah, it's, it, well, it's all, it's there for everyone to see, which is, uh, which is, which is brilliant. And it kind of leads me on to sort of, I'm just conscious of time. I don't want to keep you too long. It's it sort of, it, it, do you think you'll ever get bored? Do you think you'll ever, you know, tr tree climbing and, and will it ever, will it ever change or, or for you? Or is it it's going to be, you'll be, you'll be coming down on a rope one day and, and that, that's it, or you'll keep going. Um, I hope that I get to keep going. I hope that I get to keep going. You know, if I get to, a, I guess if I get to a point where my mind isn't sharp enough, then I'll just have to say, you know, like I'm, I'm make, I'm starting to make mistakes. I can't do this because you're not allowed to make mistakes in the top of a tree. Um, my, my role model, I'll mention my friend, James, my friend, James was about 68 and uh, he died from a, an accident last year, not tree related at all. But James was one of the top tree climbers in North America and he was 68, I think. And if James could do it, then I want to keep doing it. And sometimes you got to take the long view. Sometimes you just got to keep believing, you know? Yeah. If you got nothing else to hang your hat on, just believe. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I read, um, I did have a look on the, obviously the Canopy Access um, website and I'm right, James is, James was your lead instructor, wasn't he, as well for, for the Canopy Watch, is that right? Yeah, he was the lead instructor for the, for the international climber trainings and, uh, and uh, Kevin Bingham's going to take that role. I needed someone with a lot of really technical tree climbing experience and knowledge, you know, above my level to fill those shoes and so James was that person, and now we've this year it's going to be Kevin. Brilliant, I love it. That's uh, well, I can't wait to uh, 
yeah, to follow it and uh, keep a closer eye on it. It's been a, it's been great. Now, before we finish, I always, I, well, actually, I've got two questions before we finish. Um, give us a little, because I, when I again going back to the tree stuff interview that I saw, you had so many cool, cool stories. You must give the give the English folk a uh, a little bit of a taste of one of the experiences you've had up in up in a tree. Um, it can be anything, harpy eagle, other other animal, whatever, whatever. Here, here's one. Here's one. So when I was doing my master's degree, I was climbing in the rainforest and I would go to the tops of the, I had to find the tallest trees because I wanted to have a, a view of one kilometer. Yep. Cause I, that was the size of my plot to study uh, birds of prey. And I was climbing this tree and I could hear macaws macaws for, if you don't know, they're the largest, parrots in the world the really big ones with the really long tails those are the macaws and I could hear some macaws somewhere above my head and all I knew is they were above me and I was climbing towards them and I was climbing climbing and I had to crest there was like a low ceiling of leaves that I had to go through before I got to the top of the tree and um, I had to push through these leaves and it's like you know pushing my head out through this this canopy of leaves and I look up and there's six scarlet macaws in the top of the tree who had probably never ever seen anybody up there in their world and they looked down at me and they like they looked at each other and they squawked and they just flew off and I just here I am like only in the top of a tree can you ever have that kind of experience and it was a rope that put me there and man, I'll never. I hope I never forget that memory. It's like the last one I want to die with. <laughs> I'd love to know if the macaws are telling that story to someone, some another macaw somewhere. They'll be like, hey, yeah. This one time, me, yeah. and, me and the other guys, you know, we were just hanging out in the top of this big tree, and this dude, <laughs> <laughs> and this dude pulls his head through the leaves. <laughs> I love it. Okay. F final question, which I ask everyone, one bit of advice. I always ask um, one bit of advice. If you're going to give a budding ornithologist or biologist a piece of advice to take out into the field with them, go on, what would it be? Is this a, is this climbing or just any piece of advice? Any, we can do two if you, I, I, I did Carla from the international owl center the other last week. She, hers is her episodes coming out and she gave me three pieces of advice. She kept rattling them up, but yeah, any, whatever you want it for. Live life to the fullest and never quit. Oh, you're going to make me mushy. <laughs> if you're going to live life, live it 200%. Yeah. Just go for it. And, and, and it will pay, pay you back in memories, pay you back in challenges overcome, pay you back in friends that, that are willing to live life to the max. Just do it all the way. If you're going to do it, do it all the way. Don't do it halfway. If you want to be an ornithologist, do it all the way. Brilliant. And just, and don't let up and don't, don't ever, don't ever think, ah, it's too early. It's too late. It's too cold. It's too, just do it all the way. Fantastic. I love it. I wish I, I wish I had a David Anderson when I was first learning to climb trees and not, yeah. Anyway, I'm still alive. So that's a, that's a start. Well, Dave, it's been an absolute, um, I've, I, I knew I'd enjoy this interview. I really did. Um, so I'm, I'm really grateful for you taking um, some time out to chat to us. I'll make sure that I share uh, Canopy Watch and, and especially the fundraiser. And yeah, we'll try and dig out that Harp Eagle film that's coming out. And hopefully some people can check that out. And um, yeah, uh, it's, been a, it's been a real treat. So uh, all the best with Ooh. July in the course. And Thank you for a chance to share some stories with your your Ooh. listeners and i'm passionate about what i do i like to share the passion and and it takes partners you know it's not a one world it's not, it's, i'm not the king of my world i'm just one part of a tribe so thanks for being a part of the tribe too cheers man Ooh. all right brilliant take care